Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Fundamentals, an OKC UK podcast. I am your host, Tom Snowden, the founder of OKC UK. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Brandon Dale. How are you doing this week, Brandon? I'm well, thank you for asking. Good, good. And this week, I'm very happy to say I'm joined by a good friend of mine and MBA brain, probably the biggest I know, Mr. Joe Holbert. How are you doing, Joe? Doing great, thank you. Absolute pleasure to come on. No, thank you for coming. Obviously, it's, it's good to have friends like you who are always happy to do things like this. So, jumping in straight away, me and Brandon are very quickly going to talk about the last week or so. We had a tricky home uh, away loss to the Hawks, losing 93-116. Ty Jerome was pretty much the only highlight of that game in terms of things that went well. Shot six of eight from three, which he has done fairly consistently since he's coming to the start, uh, the getting minutes with the Thunder instead of the Blue. Sibby uh, McKayluke had his debut in that game, and all round it wasn't that great offensively. We only shot around 35% from the floor the whole game. Any positive negatives on that game, Brandon? No, yeah, that, kinda, that, that, that face said it all. <laughs> I expected that to happen. Considering how well we done at keeping Trey Young quiet in the last game against the Hawks, it didn't go to plan this time, and he was dropping threes on us for fun. But yeah, considering that game wasn't very fun, we'll move on quickly. Again, we'll move to the away win against the Rockets, 114-112. Really good win. I was really impressed with everyone who's played. We had three starters out, technically four, if you're classing Tio Maladon still as not a starter, although technically he is now. He's Even though he's just taken George Hill's minutes since he's been injured. Uh, Moses had a, another good game, 13 points, 14 rebounds. Dort dropped 23, which is just coming a regular occurrence now. Uh, 30 bench points, and that was just between Nahai Luke and Justin Jackson who I still think is being severely underrated by a lot of people based on how he's played for us this season. I know a lot of people judge him on the Dallas and the Kings days, which is understandable. Same as people do with Kenny Hustle as well. But no, it was a really good win. Although, I was shy with that last block as well. Although, I felt like a lot of the fan base wanted a loss in that game. Try and get the Rockets going. Uh, any positive negatives that I didn't mention there, Brandon? Just that block by Dort was wild. It was, uh, it looked like, I think I said after the game, I was like, Lou Dort now has two children, John Wall and James Harden. So that he was. He doesn't do it for the Rockets game, doesn't he? Yeah, that was nasty. Yeah, he does get up for those games. That was filthy. I enjoyed that game. That was fun. I did think we were going to lose. So I was, but the Rockets, man, they finally, 21 losses. What was it, 20 or 21 in a row? It, it was a lot, put it that way. Hmm. And, then, and then the last game we'll recap as well was actually against Mr. Holbert's beloved team, the Timberwolves. Uh, and the way win, 112-103. Were, me and Brandon spoke about it a bit earlier. It's one of our favourite games of the season. I think Brandon said himself it was his favourite game of the season. Shy went off, dropping 31. Moses was a beast in the paint in terms of his defensive work, offensive work on the rebound, collecting the boards. The bench absolutely took over the game. 46 combined points off the bench. And Carl anthony Towns was being beaten up. So before I ask Joe how he thought that game went, Brandon, why was it your favourite game of the season? You got 10 threes from the bench. You got 21 threes overall. I think 
Towns didn't score the first quarter, but I think he eventually had like 33, and I was surprised that he had that many points. Um, but the ball movement was uh, those to die for. I think there were some possessions where we'd swing the ball around like seven times, and that blows my mind because usually, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say our offense is always stagnant, but it looked like for some reason it looked like there was just – they looked like a complete unit in that game and maybe more so than any other game that I've watched this year. It was fun. The, the bench does go crazy. The The amount of work the bench have put in, obviously there's the, the breakfast club, so they're called. They work out together, so you can see why the chemistry's there. Uh, obviously for the Timberwolves, I know Joe will expand on this, it just felt like it was Carl Anthony Towns one against five for the whole time he was in. How did you see that game, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I say, you know, this is a team missing his second best player in Malik Beasley and his third best player in D'Angelo Russell. Um, I think Loki C played well, but there is a bit of luck when you're shooting 21 of 37 from three. Like, like I can't be too hard on the Timberwolves um, for in that sense. You know, it's short man and the shooting numbers were crazy. But, I mean, it's just... You know, I think one of our mutual friends tonight was like, well, Cat's taking 28 shots. But if you actually look down the guys who played for us, who are you going to give some of those shots to? You know, it's not going to be Jarrett Culver. It's not going to be uh, Josh Okogie. It's not going to be, certainly not going to be Juancho Hernan Gomez. So, you know, for me, it's just, it's been a, it's been better since Chris Finch was hired over Ryan Saunders. So that's kind of all I'm looking for. I'd like us to keep the tank going, but I want us to be competitive. And I felt, until the end in that game, we were somewhat competitive. Uh, it's just really hard to evaluate this team because, again, like D'Angelo Russell's played, I think, seven or eight games this season. Beasley's obviously suspended. Uh, he's been very, very good. So just a tough evaluation. But I thought, you know, in the game, it was like it's gone under Finch. You know, we run some good offensive sets. We just don't have the guys who can knock the shots down. Yeah. Uh, obviously... I know full well how much you disliked Ryan Saunders. I'd hear about it almost nightly. But where do you where do you see Chris Finch taking this team? Obviously, the supposed tank is on, but obviously we were supposed to be tanking. But what what what's the ceiling with Chris Finch? Say you get say you get Kay Cunningham or even Mobley. Where, where are you going to be next year? If we get Kay, that's a playoff team next year. You know because you've got you know Beasley's. I mean, Towns is a top 25 player, possibly top 20 might be seen as when he gets some better teammates. Because that's what's happened with Devin Booker this year. I think Booker will be in most people's top 20, 25 next year. I don't think he's playing any better than he was before Chris Paul got there. But obviously, because they've got CP3 now, we're seeing them win 28 games. People are realizing how good this guy actually is. So, I mean, you know, with regards to Finch, you know, I think... The thing I like about him is he's doing things outside the box. We're mixing up the defensive coverages. Uh, the offense is night and day in terms of the shots we're getting. We're not just forcing them up. There's a hierarchy. I mean, Towns taking 28 shots, I think, is a good thing. Um, obviously, he needs more help to make sure that those shots are of higher quality. But there's been an emphasis on that. I mean, I'm, you know, you know me, Snowy. I kind of keep it real with someone. If I don't think someone's good, I will tell it. But I'm impressed with what Finch has tried to do. Um, early on. So I, I'm perfectly happy with him as coach. I wish we'd had him a little bit sooner. Obviously, if you put Cade, 
Uh, then next year you pair him with Beasley, Edwards, Jaden McDaniels and Cat. That's a really nice start in five. That's some great balance. And, you know, on the topic of Cade, I know some people who think he's a better prospect than Luka Doncic was. This doesn't mean to say, obviously, that their opinions probably change now because Luka will be the best player in the league sooner rather than later. But it's, in terms of prospects, Cade is off that level. And obviously that would be a franchising, franchise changing pick for anyone. Yeah, completely. You didn't mention D'Lo there. Is he going to be traded? Uh, I mean, the thing with him is, it's tough, again, it's tough to evaluate because he's not played with Cat and Beasley. I think they've only played as a trio, I want to say, like nine games together, if that. So I'm not massive on D'Lo. I think Beasley is our second best player. I think Edwards will be third sooner rather than later. He's, you know, he's got a ceiling because he just doesn't get to the rim enough. You know, what he's good at is pull-up jump shooting and playmaking, but I don't think he's a good enough pull-up jump shooter to kind of give him the usage that the team wants to give him. So, obviously, they see him as a star. I don't. I don't agree with it. I don't think it will end well. But we've got enough other pieces on the roster for me to kind of be confident about the direction we're going in. No, completely fair enough. Nice to get a bit of a T-Wolves insight into a different team rather than the Thunder Rubbery episode. I I definitely thought the T-Wolves looked a lot better and a lot more together compared to when we played them under Ryan Saunders. Mm. I thought it was a lot more competitive. So moving on, we'll quickly go through our next segment, which is Player of the Week. Brandon, do you want to go first or second? Mm, I'll go first. Go for it. I don't know if I can say. You know what? Say because Fima Kyluk, it's got to be him, even though he's just – look, if you're a guy and you just get traded and you get thrown into the action, and, I mean, I don't know what he's got to – what he has a point of reference in terms of uh, clicking with the guys on the team, but being able to kind of find your spot and, like, know your role, just getting to a squad and being able to contribute right away um, – that pays dividends because his, he's got a type of energy that I like too. I mean, that's, I saw a couple times specifically against the T wolves where he made Anthony Edwards look silly, like on a couple threes and he had some great runs to the rim. Um, he's got a nice amount of bounce and it looks like he's going to be able to average like maybe 10 a game for us at the very least. And I love his shooting. If, if you want to trade Hamadou and for that, that's fine with me because we don't have a lot of pure shooting, especially if Muscala is on the way out. So I'm going to do that just based off of, even though I've only seen just a couple a short, you know, couple games, I think it's two or three games that he's played. Three games now. Yeah. Three games. That's my guy. No, I, I agree. He's, he's settled in well. Obviously he was quiet in that Hawks game. I think he got like 15 minutes in that game and only got two rebounds and get any points or anything, but the Rockets and the Wolves games, he done well, shot extremely well. My player of the week comes off something similar in Ty Jerome. I think I had him last week as well, but his shooting is impressive and his playmaking is getting seriously slept on. He's an incredible passer. He just keeps pulling out such flashy passes. He's it's getting a bit of a predicament now in terms of how many guys can run the point or mm. are going to be running the point and who's going to stay. It'd be interesting with Sibby Mikhailuka as well because he is an expiring deal. I would imagine he'd stay on. He's still young. He's only third-year third player, I think. So 
be interesting to see what happens with him. So no, Ty Jerome and Sibby Michaelou get the players of the week this week. So that will leave me on to Tom's take. And as always, when we get a guest, we will ask the guest his opinion on this and whether he agrees or disagrees. Uh, for my take, I'll let Brandon go first and we'll get Joe's thoughts because Brandon might be a bit biased and then we'll get what an outsider might think of this. So Tom's take this week, and I've said it on Twitter, and I'm not sure if you would have seen it, either of you, but Ke Kenrich Williams is worth a first-round pick. Mm. Plain, plain and simple what the take is. My, my reason, one, the contract. He's on an unreal contract. Still got two years after this on two million a year. And then how effective he is off the bench as well. He's still shooting just under 60% from the field, 40% from three. So he's an effective shooter. He hustles. That's why he's got the nickname, Kenny Hustle. He's unreal on D. He's in people's faces. I think he's worth a first-round pick. I'm not saying he's going to be a first-round pick from Detroit because that, that's just silly. I think he would be a high-end first-round pick between picks 22 and 30. Brandon. Mm, I want to say he's a he might be like a second round 35th between 40th overall type of guy I don't know I want to say he's first round material but I mean okay why are you saying no then I don't know man there's, just, my, po there's my point I, I guess I don't have I don't know I don't have a good reason to, to not give him for a first round pick but I feel like if you've only He's got a small sample size. I don't think he's played, let's see, 39, 40. He's played about maybe 80 games or something for his career, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, I guess the upside is the all the good that we've seen him do for the Thunder is obviously going to raise his his value. Um, but a first rounder, I don't that seems really steep just for a guy that you know is coming off an injury and just because he's playing well really well at this point in time. I don't know if that necessarily gives you a first round pick, but why can't we just go a little bit outside of that and just do like a little high second rounder? You don't think, you think we'll get a first round pick for Kenny Hustle? I think it's possible. Good. I think the contract is the big persuasion due okay. to how good, how good that contract is. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, I really like him. Um, I did in New Orleans as well. The shooting numbers were never there, but I didn't think he was a great fit for kind of the way they were playing. Alvin Gentry, you know, his sort of pace and space was OKC slow it down just a little bit more in the half court. I think he's one of those players that I've, I would imagine analysts and people on NBA Twitter are higher on than the actual league. So I, if I'm a, for me, every playoff team should be interested in him. He's six seven, good wingspan, good defense. The only thing I'm hung up on is how sustainable are the shooting percentages. You know, the rim finishing percentage has gone up by 16%, which is ridiculous. He was, I believe, a career 30% three-point shooter until this year. Now he's gone up to 44. So I guess if you were doing your due diligence on him, you'd sort of say, well, he'll fall somewhere between 30 and 44. But I mean, I, mean, I, I would say he's worth a late first-round pick just because the teams in the playoffs, they're not looking for another star because you have to mortgage a future. You can give up one first-round pick for Cambridge. I think you'd do it. Um, 
the contract, I think a couple of the years are non-guaranteed, which obviously is very good from a, um, from a team building perspective. But I just, I'm not 100% sold on whether those shooting numbers will stay. The only thing I will say, the Athletic dropped a piece earlier and they said that people around the league think Kemrich is only worth a second rounder. So I think that ties into what I said about kind of, he's definitely that level of player, but I don't know if the league will be as high on him as people who watch him are. Yeah, I, I saw that article earlier as well, and I was obviously knew we were going to talk about it tonight, and I was like, you're mad. You're mad. You're not watching him. So, Joe, got to push you for an answer. Is that an agree or disagree? I would agree, yeah, definitely. I'll t- take that. I'm always happy with a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So, we're now, we're now going to move on to poking Joe with a stick, getting a lot of information out of him. So, one of our weekly segments that we always do every week is Rookie Watch. Instead of uh, me and Brandon going on about the same things that our rookies are doing, I think it'd be nice to get a bit of a deep dive into the rookies from someone who doesn't watch the team every week and delves into their analytics and things like that. So, Joe, there's obviously two rookies on this team, Alexei Pukashevsky, Tio Maladon. Are you high on any of them? Yeah, I'm very high on Poku. Um so my draft coverage last year, I watched the top guys and I picked a couple of guys lower down, like Sadiq Bey. I've, uh, I always, whenever we talk snow, I always manage to bring up Sadiq Bey. Um, I watched a couple of guys like Apoku. The majority of the guys I've spoken to in the pre-draft process, uh, they were ridiculously high on this guy's tools. After I watched him, I had him as the best of the three big men I watched. So I watched him. I watched a Kongwu who I had ranked second and Wiseman. I didn't really see the fuss with James Wiseman and I still don't. I don't think he does anything other than dunk off of Steph Curry's gravity, but that's a discussion for another day. Poku's got some really interesting tools. It was interesting actually speaking to you the other day, Snow, when you kind of said that some Thunder fans think it's a wasted pick. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how someone would come to that conclusion during a rookie year. Um but I've liked what I've seen. The fluidity for his size is there's not many guys I've seen move like that. He reminds me a little bit of like a bigger Chris Webber in the sense that he can turn those high post touches into layups. And he's a he's a really good passer, you know. And I think in terms of like big men, I gravitate more towards ones like him because all, a lot of the tools are theoretical, but the movement skills are there. Whereas someone like Jackson Hayes, couple of years ago when people were saying oh you know he's got all these indicators I didn't see that when I watched the tape whereas when I saw Poku's tape I saw flashes of a franchise centre he was probably my third or fourth ranked player in the class I had ball top Edwards second he would have been I'll double check but I think he was about four or five um, I wish I'd put him higher I think there's a path where he becomes the best player in this class and I know that might be a bit of a hot wow. take because of how good Lamelo Ball has been but I think in the tools I see with him, I think there's absolutely a path where he can be a, what we call a unicorn big man with Jokic, Cat, Embiid. I wouldn't say Paul Zingas is in that anymore, but certainly Bam Adebayo is. He's definitely, for me, from what I've seen so far, he'd obviously he needs to, he's quite slender at the moment, but he'll build that strength as he gets older and develops. Uh, but what I'm seeing, I'm very, very impressed by. No, uh, Brandon, Brandon will back me up. Obviously, before the draft, I was messaging Brandon saying, Poku's the guy we want. And then, obviously, as soon as we drafted him, 
he was messaged me as always straight in the inbox. Go on, Brandon. Do you so you think he'll move to the center spot eventually? Yeah, I think I think it depends on kind of who else OKC draft. So if we see if you ended up with someone like Evan Mobley, you can have a big front court. But I think he can definitely project to be a franchise center. I think the great thing with him is, as you said, there he's flexible. Like you could definitely play him with another big. So if Moses Brown, who I guess we'll go on to later, sort of becomes this defensive phenom, you can definitely get away with both of them. And I believe against us, you played Brown, Roby, and um, Poku all, to- all together yeah. in the starting lineup. Which I'll be honest, when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's an easy win for us because I thought that wasn't going to be enough floor spacing. But obviously, Poku's rare skill set really makes it work. And I think that lineup flexibility really adds to his value. I, I think it has to do with his, the, we're talking about his size and once he fills out more, then he'd be more of a, you could interchange from the four and five spot with him a little bit more. So I like that idea. Cause at first I was talking to Tom, I was like, he'll just be a three and just be a huge small forward. But I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. It does for now, but I don't know if it does moving forward. So I, I like that. I think he'll be a three, four, five, man. Man, the I, thing I, matters, him and Moses Brown. And they've already got that chemistry from the G League as well. True. The thing that's interesting as well is um, obviously, you know, even though he is a small centre, Sam uh, Sam Presti likes to draft size at every position. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously some of them don't work out like T. Ferg, but his philosophy is drafting guys with big wingspans and all that. So I think that, if you've got a smaller center that can help cover, that's how um, the Warriors got round Draymond Green size at the center because guys like Clay, Sean Livingston, all those guys are long and big. And I think Presti has got the same sort of philosophy. So, you know, from that perspective, the types of players he draft, even if Poku was still a little bit slender, I think they can kind of fill in the gaps. No, that's really good. That was diving to Poku there. I, did, I knew you were high. Poku from when obviously we talked I didn't realise you were that high um, Tia Maladin obviously we speak about him a few times and I know you've obviously got some turnover issues as, as the rest of the fan base do myself included I'm high on Tio but do realise he does delve a lot of turnovers so what do you, what do you make of Tio Joe? Um, I think he's good for where he was picked I think there's still a lot to work on the main thing that worries me is so I I don't know if you saw but I I always try and like ask analytical questions to my followers and stuff and I sort of said I we all know Maladon turns the ball over I think at a higher percentage than any other player in the league this year uh, which isn't great but he's a rookie so there's obviously you've got to look at why he's turning it over and sort of the guys I reached out to sort of said that it's because the academy he was in academy players play basketball like they've read a manual on how to play basketball. So when I dived into the tape, I saw what they meant. And I think Maladon overpasses it at times. Mm. So he can shoot, but he needs to shoot more. There's times when I watch him and I think, no disrespect to the Thunder's three-point shooting ability, but if you're going to be a league guard, you need to take more shots. You you can't really just be throwing passes out all the time. I don't think he trusts himself enough. So I need to see that aggression in taking more shots, basically, because... I think the turnovers, I don't think it's because he's got a bad hand or I don't think it's because he makes stupid passes. I think it's because he actually is passing when he shouldn't. 
I know it kind of contradicts, but I don't think he makes passes that are risky. I just think he overdoes it at times. But obviously he's 19 and he's come from an academy and that is the way some academies kind of coach their players is to always make the next play. But actually, I think NBA defenders are too good. They know what the next play is. You need to think, you can't think one step ahead of them. You've got to be two steps ahead of them. Because when you're up against NBA level defenders, I mean, even without going into the elite ones, even if you're up against someone like, God, just off the top of my head, like SGA, I know he's on your team, but guys like that, they're not elite defenders, but they know the passes you want to make. So you need to be aggressive. And when you improve as a scorer, that's when passing lanes open up. But I think right now, teams are sitting off of Maladon because they know that he wants to pass rather than shoot. But I think for where he was picked, it's good value. There's definitely a path there to being a starting level point guard, a pretty high-end one. But obviously, he needs to break some of those habits. No, I, I agree, especially in terms of him being unselfish, if you will. He should be taking a lot more shots. I was saying the same about Azaira uh, Raby a couple of weeks ago. He's capable from free, but he dishes the ball out instead of taking the shot, which leads to him being another one on the team who gains a lot of turnovers in a game. But no, that's a, that's a really good profile on Tio as well. Uh, so what else we're going to do while we got you here, Joe? I thought it'd be a good idea to maybe do some sort of like player profiles with you in terms of how you see some of our key players or players for the future or whatnot. So the first question, of uh, first uh, player I've got to ask you about is obviously Shai Gilgis Alexander. Uh, kind of, you've got to say based on since the All Star break, he's been, in my opinion, one of the best players in the league. So he's obviously got the snub of being an All Star in the back of my head, which I feel he should have got. But there is a case for why he didn't go, in terms of the players. And I've seen I've seen you say on Twitter a couple of times as well that SGA to you is now the second in his draft class, even above Trey Young. We're, so I'll get you to talk about that. And is SGA that top 10 level caliber franchise player? Uh, so he's been excellent this year. The thing that's taken his game to another level is the scoring efficiency. So I'm not saying he was inefficient in his first two years. He wasn't. He was kind of middle of the road efficiency, which given types of teams he was playing on and the fact he was a 20 and 21 year old player, uh, his efficiency numbers were good, but this year he is elite in efficiency. Um, he doesn't get many as many assists as he should, but that's because of the personnel around him rather than anything he's doing. I think he's a willing passer, but the three-point shooting numbers jumped this year from 35 to 42%. I think it's sustainable. The thing I like about him and why I project him to be, I don't know about if he was top 10, I would say, just looking at the top 10 now, I think he'd be more maybe sort of, Anthony Davis level rather than kind of James Harden. But in um, in draft analysis, the thing you look for if you're looking for a start is how many unassisted buckets they get because guys like J.J. Redick, they kind of do grow on trees a little bit more. J.J. Redick isn't going to create his own shot. He's reliant on someone else to do it for him. Well, SGA, um, he, his sort of numbers for unassisted field goals this year Someone on Twitter did a really good compar- a st- a historical comparison on B- basketball reference. And his numbers are similar to guys like Steve Nash, um, 
you know, Michael Jordan in terms of the amount of unassisted twos and threes he makes. So that for me is what will make him a star is that he's an offensive hub. You know, he can score at every level. He gets to the rim a lot. I want to see him take more threes, but I think that will come with more time when he gets better personnel around him because obviously the Thunder don't have many guys who can collapse the defence. So he has to spend a lot of time at the paint and at the rim because if he doesn't, those other guys aren't going to get the shots. But I think as OKC keep adding to the roster, I think if Poku becomes that high post playmaker, you'll see SGA off ball a little bit more. But this guy, for me, you know, his ceiling is probably between the sort of sixth and 15th best player in the league. And that will depend on, you know, how much he can turn his scoring into playmaking. Because James Harden, although everyone likes to see him as that kind of isolation merchant, uh, he's an excellent passer and he uses his scoring gravity. That's the next step for SGA. But he needs better players around him to do that. I praise that, Brandon, isn't it? Yeah, I was just thinking about how SGA really does, for terms of point guards and then running up his like his numbers in terms of unassisted field goals, he doesn't really look for – he's looking for his shot. right? When he gets, when he gets over the half-court line, he's looking to score. And so – that is interesting to think about because I hadn't really, I don't know if it's because he doesn't trust um, his teammates as much yet, but he is super efficient. I just hadn't thought of it the way it was um, the way Joe put it out there. So I was just kind of sitting there daydreaming about SGA plays. <laughs> he is well, going to be, he's going to be something else though. Yeah, completely agree. And to think that we got him for Paul George as well, but we're laughing now, aren't we? Um, no, I can tell you right now, he'll he'll be better than Paul George was in his prime. I can confidently say that already. But I just think, like Paul George has always been reliant on the kind of fadeaways and stuff. And look, they they're great when they go in, but SGA can score at every level. Whereas I don't think in playoff settings, Paul George has been able to. That's why he gets the name Pandemic P or Playoff P, whatever they call him now, because you know he can't score at all those levels. SGA. He absolutely can. But as I said, he needs to, the playmaking is the next step. But he's taken a bigger jump than I expected him to this year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great watching SJ this year. He's even developed a step back three as well, which has been quite fun to watch in the last month or two, especially when they come out of seemingly nowhere as well. So the next profile is seemingly everyone's favourite little child on the Thunder, and that's Lou Dort. Uh, talk, talk to me about the emergence and the progress that Lou Dort has made. And in, in particularly, obviously, I slated it on a pod with Brandon Rabar a few weeks ago, saying that Lou Dort is near his ceiling in his offensive game. And ever since then, he's just completely proved me wrong. But what's your thoughts on Lou Dort? Yeah, I mean, the defence, as we know, is, is excellent. You know, I don't know how much I can add to that. Like, he's just... You know, he's a guy who relishes the assignments, not just that he's capable of doing them. Guys who relish them are the ones who you remember as great defenders. You know, I'm thinking of guys like Bruce Bowen in the past who kind of enjoyed playing defence. I mean, Bruce Bowen was quite dirty as well at times, but like in terms of actually looking forward to those assignments, um, Ludor definitely cherishes them. The offence for me, I still, he's quite inconsistent which I would expect him to be for his career. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who kind of are drawing up plays for from three. I think he's going to be a guy who gets them out of the flow of the offense. 
Um, I would imagine at the highest playoff levels, they would leave him open. But in terms of where the Thunder are now, in terms of the rebuild, like he's definitely good enough to be t- to be along on sides. Sorry, in the closing lineups because obviously you don't really want non-shooters on the court at the end. But he's he's definitely good enough to be that. I just the thing for me to monitor is you know I want to look at why he's inconsistent, and that's not a question I've been able to answer yet because the looks that OKC create are actually pretty good. You know, when I watch you, I kind of think the shot profile is good. I think, I think at times, obviously, again, as I said, you don't have the guys who get downhill. I think Maladon being more aggressive would actually help Ludor a lot. But in terms of the offense, it's kind of a wait and see type thing for me because, yeah, he can get going, but he also does have games where he shoots high volume and extremely low efficiency from three. So obviously, you know, is that going to be who he is? You know, is that just going to be the nature of his game? Or is he going to maybe lower the volume and maybe up the efficiency? That'll be the key question. I would lean towards that happening as OKC start to get better players, as guys like Malinon start to develop. I'd imagine he takes fewer and fewer shots. But still, there's enough of a threat out there to not be completely ignored. No, thing with Lou Dort, we've obviously talked about it in a fair bit, uh, Brandon, about how... He's very quick in the way he gets to the paint, sometimes resulting in a missed layup. And uh, his three-point shot, when he came into the league, it wasn't there completely. He came into the bubble, then we started seeing more of it. And then, obviously, this season, he's taken a lot more threes. So I do do think, especially in the last month, he started draining a few more. There is still that path for him to work on it, but I completely agree with what Joe says. That's going to come with... Better players on the team. He's gonna he's gonna be around for years. You got anything to add, Brandon? It seems like he just hasn't found. Maybe he hasn't found his. I know he's got his role on the team, but he hasn't found his offensive role. And what I mean by that is like sometimes, you know, he'll be involved in plays and he's got a really quick first step. We've talked about this before, and he gets to the rim. Um, but some plays he'll be hanging out in the corner, kind of just waiting to for someone else to drive and to kick it to him and just shoot open three. And if Lou Dort's going to be sitting around shooting threes, um, you know, for the rest of his career, I don't think that's going to bode well for anybody. I think if he kind of finds his spots and areas in the paint below the perimeter, he could be really effective, but finishing when he gets to the, whatever reason he likes to launch that thing off the backboard when he's going up for layups. Um, I would like to see him get a little bit more confidence in terms of take that quick first step, get to the hole and just dunk on people. And that can make him scary. Kind of a, kind of a, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but I don't, I just don't like Dort shooting threes. I don't like it. I mean, he'll get better at it. I hope, but I don't think it's the model for something that's consistent for this team. No, that's, that's fair enough. I think the biggest thing for me that I love with Lou Dort is his maturity on the court. Mm-hmm. He's obviously extremely good at defence and he, he knows his defensive role, as you had just said, his offensive role he might not be sure of, but his defensive role he's crystal clear on. And he has the balls to wave in LeBron James's face. So, like... <laughs> um, next one is someone obviously I've talked to Joe a lot about and I know that he's high on this guy and that's Darius Baisley. 
So with Darius, what what does he do well at and where are his improvements? I know Brandon is very iffy on Darius, very iffy. He has he goes through a couple of games stretch where yeah, I love Darius and then he'll have a couple of off games and he's like trade him. He's like, no. <laughs> but no, what what can he do to improve his game? What's he good at and what what's his ceiling, Joe? The main thing he's good at for me is on the defensive end, he's very disciplined. He doesn't foul a lot. That's the thing that stuck out to me when I watched him. He's able to knock guys off their spots without fouling them. The numbers back me up. His foul percentage is 100th percentile, which means basically best in the league in terms of how low it is. So he's excellent on that front. I'll be honest, I've been really disappointed with the offense this year, though. The thing I liked about him when I watched him last year is that he was able to kind of get to the rim at will. He wasn't efficient, but I've always said, for me, if out of rookies is why I'm high on Anthony Edwards, for example. I'm looking at how they get to their spots rather than how efficient they are from them because that's kind of what takes players to the next level is that three-level scoring. He's just super inefficient from pretty much every area of the court. So the three-point percentage numbers have gone down this year, but my bigger worry is at the rim. He's not for a guy as athletic as he is, and for a guy actually with the spacing around him that guys like Al Horford bring, I, he should be shooting way higher at the rim, and that's why he looks extremely inefficient statistically. I watched a bit of the film, and I think he rushes things a little bit. That That's sort of the vibe I get when I watch him, is that he just needs to slow down. I know Thunder wants to play at pace, and I know his thing is about athleticism, but he lacks at the moment the touch around the rim. I've watched some games this year where I kind of think, yeah, this guy is a top 50 player. I've watched some where I think this guy shouldn't even be on the court. I think I watched the game you had against San Antonio, and I might have even tweeted out, I thought, how on earth is this guy still on the court? Like He was, I want to say he started like 0 of 6 from the field. And they were all horrendous shots. Like, they just shouldn't have been taken. So, the reason I'm high on him is the tools. Like, he can get to his spots, but he need, there comes a point when you actually need to knock them down. So, I would expect him to be a guy, again, he's still, he's not even 21 yet. So, in the present, I, I don't think he's that good right now. The defense is good. But there, there's going to have to come a point where, yeah, we can say we can bank on the tools all we want. He's going to have to actually start producing. I would expect him to be a guy who makes sort of a fourth-year jump. That's just my hunch. I'm still high on him because, again, of how disruptive he can be on defense. Like That's definitely valuable. And on offense, some of his skills are rare, but he needs to slow down. He needs to let the game come to him because otherwise there will come a point when they just kind of move on from him, I think, especially with Poku developing. That will add to their roster flexibility. You know, if you're going to have Poku and Brown in your front court, you need guys who can shoot at that free position. And right now, obviously, that's not really what Paisley is doing. So, again, still high on him, but there's a lot of work that needs doing. Do you think there's anything in terms of a mental capacity? I touched on this a while ago when I went on my Bayes rant. So... When I went on my Bayes run, I said how last season he only started nine games the whole season. And then obviously this season he's come in, expected to be a starter. Do you think that's got any terms of mental aspect in terms of how much more pressure he might have on himself? Yeah, I would say so. I think also something else that could go into that is 
SGA is playing extremely well. And this Thunder team is actually pretty good. So that probably isn't helping him. I do wonder if actually the efficiency numbers would be better if you were a lot worse, because obviously SGA and Horford are definitely top 50 players. If you've got two top 50 players, you're not going to be terrible if they're playing every game. So that, yeah, that's probably part of it. It's maybe a case of, you know, did he earn the starting spot? Because he was good as a rookie, but was he good enough to be a starter in his second year? I mean, the answer's probably not. You know, maybe Cambridge Williams uh, should be starting more often. You know, maybe that's something that they should explore down the line. But obviously, yeah, that's definitely got to be part of it. I think, don't you think, he looks like, at least when Russell Westbrook was starting out, he would miss with confidence. And he would be inefficient in a confident manner. Darius Baisley gets, like, something bad will happen, and I watch him hang his head. I watch him kind of pout. He looks a little disheveled. And then he just doesn't get back into the game. So if he doesn't start off hot, that's what I worry about with him is his confidence. But like Joe was saying, he's young. He's not even 21. But are the Thunder going to be able to hang on to him for that long to find out? I just wish I, – I, I love a confident Baisley. I watched it all last year. And then this year, that's where the frustration for me comes in. Because you can see I get real animated when I talk about Baisley because I think my expectations were just – they were set way too high in the beginning. And so now I'm having to kind of find out where his, where his actual value is. So I don't know. These are all good. You see, you see, you see him on the team though. You, you literally just said it then when he's confident, he's red hot. He has a great game when he's confident. But if he, if he starts badly, just like you said, his head does drop and he tends to have a quiet game. So just quickly, Joe, before we move on to the next one, what is his ceiling? Um, a good supporting starter on a good team. The okay. defense is good. You know he can. You got to think about it as well. If the you know if Poku develops, if SGA develops, and whoever you add with this year's draft pick, let's say you do land a really good player. Basically, will have less defensive attention on him, so it's almost kind of hard for him not to be efficient. And I think, again, he can get to his spots. That's why I think they'll keep him around because with less attention on him, you know, if you're putting your fourth or fifth best defender on him, he will blow past them because he's that athletic. But, yeah, again, I, I need to see a little bit more efficiency. Not necessarily this year, but certainly next year or the year after, he's going to have to start to become a more efficient player for me to believe in that. But the tools are there. He can get to the spots. So that's worth not being out on him, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. Uh, I, I I hope he does have the career I want him to have. Obviously, we all know I'm high on him. He's just such a likeable guy. Like they say, if you watch the games on League Pass, I don't know how you watch him, Brandon, but they have that little segment where Bayes, SGA and Hammy are talking about a couple of the other players on the team. And uh, Shy says, if you want to have a good time, you hang out with Bayes. Mm. So for the guy he is, it just makes me cheer him on that little bit more. So the, the next player I want to talk about is an interesting one. I actually thought he was a rookie. I didn't realise, but he was at Portland last season, and that's uh, Moses Brown. He's obviously had an outstanding bubble in the G League. Didn't have, I think he maybe made two or three appearances before the G League in rubbish minutes, obviously when we were blown out or whatnot. He's come back from the G League, started getting minutes. People are obviously having a little joke on Twitter saying he's the next Wilt Chamberlain, capable of... 30 and 30 in a game 
obviously we all know that's a joke, but he nearly had that 20 and 20 game last week. I can't remember who that was against. Do you see this? I'd say there's a bit of hype in the franchise about Moses Brown. Do you see that dying off or do you think he's a player who can have an impact on the league? The thing I liked about him when I was watching him against Cat is he moves his feet very well. Um, the only centre I really see give Cat trouble in terms of getting to his spots is Embiid. I think Embiid gets in his head just a little bit. Um, but Brown was really mirroring his footwork well because Cat, Cat, for me, when he's playing well, is probably the best offensive centre in the league. It's hard to say that with Jokic's jump, certainly last year. In terms of the three-point shooting and just his fluidity, um, it was, for me, no one was even particularly close to him. So Brown was really staying in front of him. And obviously I liked that. He's a he's a ridiculous rebounder. Mm. He's, almost a, he's almost actually like a violent rebounder, kind of think he needs to calm down a bit. But actually that's just the way he plays. Uh, the block percentage is good. You know, again, that comes back to the footwork. He can get... You know, anyone who's seven foot should be blocking shots, but it's about how often you get to those positions. You know, he moves well. Obviously, he's not a great sort of three-throw shooter, which, you know, can limit him. But guys like this are still insanely valuable. I mean, I don't know how much I buy into the hype. I need to see a little bit more than a G League bubble and kind of, you know, just a couple of garbage time minutes. I know he started against Minnesota, but obviously that could be one good start. Um so I need to see probably until the end of the season. But there's definitely enough there to be excited about. Again, the footwork is what I look at on defence. I Because like Hassan Whiteside, for example, he's always been a guy who blocks a lot of shots. To me, he's a stat padder. Him and Andre Drummond are the same. They're both stat padders. You know, they, they don't translate to good teams. Brown is getting to his spots consistently against very good players. And it's part of good team defence, whereas Whiteside blocks aren't he'll go out of his way to make a block and get blown by on nine occasions. But the one occasion he doesn't, he will block the shot. So, yeah, I, there's definitely something to be excited about. I and mean, obviously, I'll, I'll chill on the Wilk Chamberlain stuff. But, <laughs> you know, there's something in there to to me. It's a, it's a classic Sam Presti pickup, if you like, athleticism, speed. And I, I think he does that because the guys like Moses Brown, if you're athletic... Being athletic doesn't make you a good defender, but it shortens the learning curve because mm. it's easier for you. You know, it's easier for you to get to your spots when you're seven foot three and athletic. So, yeah, I think he's definitely one to be excited about. You think you think he's going to be Rudy Gobert esque? That that was my comparison last week. I would maybe look more at Clint Capella. Maybe not Clint Capella now. Maybe like pre-injury Clint Capella. Like in that. terms of like the speed and the footwork, mm. I mean, Gobert. I'm not saying Gobert's footwork is bad, but I think Brown has more speed than Rudy. That's just my gut instinct on what I've seen so far. With his speed, they could. I haven't seen. Obviously, we haven't seen a good sample size, but he, <clears throat> if he could get involved in pick and roll, and kind of, you know, make teams pay with that, that could be devastating for for anybody. Just watching him kind of pick and make a quick dive to the basket. I haven't really seen much of that though. I don't like, I don't know. I don't, I, I could see a situation where his offensive numbers aren't too great unless he's getting some wide open lobs and just easy putbacks, but he does seem to struggle with his, 
with any type of shot outside the paint. Yeah, I think I think for guys like that to survive, they need to be elite defenders. I mean, prime DeAndre Jordan's a great example. Mm. You know, he couldn't even take a free throw. Mm. But his pick and roll lob threat was, well, ridiculous, especially when you pair that with Chris Paul. Mm. But obviously, DeAndre was an elite defender and Capella, for me, was an elite defender when he was in Houston. He's still pretty good now. He's not quite as good as he was. But that's what it will take for Brown to be valuable because, as you say, he's not going to really be a post-up guy, although you know, for me, post-ups are dead now for big men, but he's going to need to be an elite defender. And there's definitely enough there where you could project that in a couple of years. Obviously, it's a long way off, mm. but to be able to shut down Carl Anthony Towns, albeit with no help, but, you know, Cat is not an easy guy to stop. To hold him to 33% from the field, not many teams will do that. I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing to hear that comparison. Obviously, we don't know how it will plan out. It's just a comparison right now, but with Clint Capella being one of my favourite centres in the league and underrated as well, I do think. The same with Valentinus as well. I would I'd love to have a guy like that on my team. Um, no, that, that they're the four players I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, we asked you about Poku and Tio as well. So it's nice to get someone who sees the game in a different perspective compared to maybe fans. Obviously, you work a lot. You have the whole book, a 4,000-word piece that does the round on Twitters. If you, if you don't see Joe's work, literally check them out. They're very thorough and very in-depth and an incredible read. So what I'm going to ask now is for Joe to put his GM hat on. What would you do, Joe, with the funders' rebuild, the amount of picks, which I'll just remind you if I flip back to my note to last week, which stands at the minute, 19 first-round picks and 16 second-round picks. What would you do with this rebuild? The players we've currently got, uh, is there a player you specifically think would suit the funder style and the funder identity that's been brought in over the last two seasons in terms of the how we play, the never give up, the clutch funder? How would you do it, Joe? So the main thing that worries me about teams that have a lot of picks, you can get to a point where you have too many assets. So New Orleans are a team I've spoken to about who have this before. Like New Orleans at this deadline, teams are going to, well, maybe not this deadline, but maybe in the off-season, someone's going to get a really good deal for someone like Josh Hart. I mean, look at Cambridge Williams. I mean, you got him from New Orleans for pretty much nothing, as far as I remember. Um, There can come a point where you have too many assets. So that's always my worry. So I would package some of those picks together to move up in a particular draft possibly this one. And obviously Cade, Cade is the game changer, but Evan Mobley is very good as well. Again, obviously with the emergence of Brown, um, you know, that'll be interesting to watch, but I also don't think I would not take Evan Mobley because you have Moses Brown. Because, you know, you could always use Brown as a trade chip or a really good value bench contract. That'd be my suggestion. I just, like New Orleans, someone's going to get a great deal for Josh Hart. You might get Nikhil Alexander-Walker on a steal too. they got so many assets, they can't even play Kyra Lewis. You can get that atmosphere where you could draft someone in the lottery, but you don't play them because you've got too many other guys. So that's the main thing I'd want to avoid. Um, but again, it's just best player available. That's what I believe in. I don't believe in not drafting someone because you have someone else, unless it's maybe a centre, because it's really tough to run two centres in the modern game. Um 
that yeah, that's the main thing for me. Avoid stockpiling too many assets and just and go big. You know, go big. A bit like Atlanta did for DeAndre Hunter. I'm not saying DeAndre Hunter's some superstar, although he has taken a jump this year, but they traded four first round picks to move up in that draft for him. That's what it'll be about. Find your guy and go and get him. Don't, you know, don't worry too much. When you've got 17 first round picks, you can afford to trade a couple to move up. So that'll be what I would do. Yeah. Well, me and, uh, obviously, Brandon, we speak about this a lot. And I think Brandon was in agreement with me where I said, finish this season as it is, maybe next season have a similar sort of season. And then that off season at the end of next season should be where we start trading these picks out, get pieces in the amount of picks that we have. And obviously maybe if say if Justin Jackson, Kenny Hustle have another season uh, similar to this one, their value is going to go up. Al Horford might still be around. His value might go up. So that's for me, that's where I'd go right. Thunder are back. And I, I, I think, me personally, I think that's the best way to do it. But Joe's completely right. We don't want to get messed over with the picks. Go on, Brandon. Do you think – so Joe just mentioned trading four, four first-round picks for DeAndre Hunter. Do you think that the Thunder – is there a scenario – I guess I'm asking both of you all. Is there a scenario where, you know, we try to flip five of these to go get Cade? I don't think any team from one would trade down because I think he's a generational talent. I know. <laughs> so that's where it gets, that's where it gets difficult. It's, this is a stronger draft class than last year, I'll say that. So if it was Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, possibly, if the team was enamoured with one of them. Uh, but, yeah, that's the thing. Like Whoever gets that number one pick, it doesn't matter who they got on the roster. They'll take Cade and work it out later. That That is why I'm so – like, the Rockets – I feel like – there's a scenario where the Rockets get Cade and I'm going to be pissed off because I hate Houston. Tom knows I hate Houston. Um, but man, the Thunder did a bad job at tanking this year. <laughs> it's, a, it's just the players. They just don't know how to do it. We were meant to do it last year. Obviously, the team was a lot better on paper and on the way they played. But we were supposed to be meant to go into a rebuild slash tank last year. But obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, no, that's great to get some insight from, uh, from you, Joe. So what me and Brandon will do now before we finish up is just a quick preview. Brand Brandon, very quickly, congratulations. You won last week again, making it 4-2. To me still, so stay out my DMs like you are, boasting that you're coming back. Um, quick preview, Brandon. Uh, Grizzlies at home, Celtics at home, Mavs at home. Where are you going? One and two. One and two. I'm going to go Norton three. I like I, I liked the Grizzlies the last time we played them. The Celtics, I just, I really don't know. I don't see where the Celtics are going. They've got some serious work to do in terms of They're trains and stuff. And the Mavs, I just really like the Mavs. They're just, obviously, Joe, co Joe covers the Mavs as one of his teams that he works on. But I just, I just really like the Mavs. And hopefully, when we play the Mavs, we'll actually see Doncic against Lou Dort this time. Because every time the Mavs have played the Thunder, Dort, uh, Doncic has been out. So that's what I'd hope. But no, that's, that's all for this week's episode. It's been refreshing to get another input of someone who's not a fan of the Thunder and who studies the game a lot differently compared to how me and Brandon and the rest of our fan base do. Uh, Joe, thank you for joining me. Do you want to give yourself a little plug where to find you and that? 
Yeah, so my Twitter handle's at Joe Holbert MBA. Um, and I cover the Mavericks and the Timberwolves, but I do do a lot of film analysis of pretty much every team. Um, I'm on a little week break at the moment, but on a Saturday I'll be back at it, tweeting film for Edge, you know, extras and those breakdowns and stuff like that. And as, as I said a minute ago, give this man a follow. He does incredible work. His film threads are incredible. He'll uh, really come to terms with how plays run out. Uh, obviously, I mentioned the so-called Incomers, the Holbert, a long 4,000-word piece on a team's identity, the way they play, the way a certain player plays. He's done a piece recently on Julius Randle and the Knicks and the way his season's gone. So check him out thoroughly. Joe, thank you for joining us. It's been great having you on. Obviously, I talk to you all the time, but it's great to have a bit more of a professional chat without other people butting in on our conversation. No, absolute pleasure to come on. No, thank you very much, Brandon. Thank you, as always. And I'm sure I'll see you next week when I go five and two. Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening, guys. And we'll see you next week. Thunder up. Thunder up.